It's a worldwide to infinity. <laughs> you know the roof on fire. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another weekly Yes And podcast. I'm Travis Thomas, your host and the creator of Live Yes And. And today's episode today's episode is a fun episode. i got to be really honest with you. Uh, we've got a, a guest today that uh, I met while I was at IMG. And a lot of you guys know that while I was at IMG, I was working with uh, different youth athletes, college athletes, and professional athletes. And I uh, got to work with this gentleman who is our guest today, who is a professional race car driver, which I remember being at the time being like, whoa, we get to work with a race car driver today, which was really unique uh, uh, for being at the academy. You know, uh, we, we worked with football players and baseball players and basketball players and soccer, but we rarely got the race car driver that came through. And uh, I remember working with Dion, and uh, not only is he a phenomenal athlete, but Dion uh, had, had this phenomenal, just uh, positive attitude. And I was just kind of blown away with his positivity. And it was genuinely one of those moments, Dion, that that uh, you, you came in with Nona Lee and I, and you said, hey, it was really great working with you guys. I hope we talk again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm definitely going to talk to him again. And so I uh, have stayed in touch with Dion over the last couple of years, just kind of encouraging him on and vice versa, and really grateful for him to uh, to jump on the podcast today. So his name is Dion Van Mocha. He is a professional race car driver. So Dion, thanks for joining us today. Hey, man. Well, thanks for the great introduction. I got a lot to live up to, but uh, really happy to be on the podcast. I've obviously been listening to quite a few of them, and uh, the, the way you go about interviewing and the way you bring up such uh, great content is always awesome. So I'm, I'm excited to be on with you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I have to, uh, for all of you guys out there listening, uh, Dion has a, a wonderful uh, TED Talk, uh, and uh, the, and we're going to get into some of the stuff that, that comes up in the TED Talk today, Dion. But uh, just yeah. just uh, just a great just a great approach to sort of what you do. So let's get into it. So you are you're a professional race car driver. Tell us about that. How in the world did you get into this profession? <laughs> well, it was a bribe from my dad, actually. So apparently, <laughs> bribes work. No, uh, we had, uh, when I was younger, we had moved around a ton. Uh, born in Houston, when two weeks old, I moved to Dallas and then lived there for six years. Then moved to Sydney, Australia, lived in Sydney for four years, and then to L.A., L.A. for a year. Then we just moved to Miami. Um, and at that point, it was pre-Facebook days. So every time you move schools, you kind of have to lose most of your friends and make new friends. Uh, so I really been in Miami for two years, and I was going to a school which they didn't have textbook textbooks; it was all on laptops. Mm-hmm. And you know, being a middle school thirteen year old boy, we were doing maybe more Counter Strike rather than textbook and work, and I wasn't doing very well in school. Um, so my dad wanted me to switch schools again into high school, and I really didn't want to do that. So he looked at me as we were driving one day, and he says, Dan, I'm going to bribe you right now. Uh, I'm either going to buy you a really nice go-kart or a gaming computer to switch schools. And at that time, I was just about turned 14, so I said, buy me a go-kart, I'm in, let's do this. <laughs> and, you know, it was... We didn't really know what to expect, to be honest. We kind of thought, we'll just kind of go play around on the weekends, and that would be it. But got a coach, and then all of a sudden, a month later, I was racing. And then a year later, I was doing national championships and the world championships. And then I said, well, this would be kind of a fun career. And it just kind of morphed into climbing the ladder system. So really, from the age of, of 14 is when you got into racing? Yeah, 
which is actually quite late. A lot of kids get get into motorsports when they're six, five years old. Uh, so I got a, a quote unquote late start to it, uh, but have been fully immersed in it for the last uh, 11, 11 years, twelve years now. Yes, yes, and I remember, you know, I remember growing up uh, uh, in Michigan. There was always a big tournament in Battle Creek, Michigan, right downtown. And uh, yeah. I, I would, we would go, we, we just happened to be in town every weekend when that event was happening. And I was just, oh, I, nice. was, I was blown away. You know, you get down street level and I was blown away at these young kids behind these go-karts. I mean, cause you're going, what are you going? What? 70 plus miles an hour, a hundred miles an hour on go-karts. And you're like an inch off the ground. There's 40 go-karts. I mean, still some of the best racing memories that I have to this day are actually from the old go-kart days. Um, it's Those things are, are proper. It's not the indoor go-kart, go have fun with your buddies. Cause these are proper big events. And, you know, at the World Championship events, it's, you know, top class. There's fans. There's tons of pressure. There, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. So it's kind of an unknown yeah, part of motorsports and a lot of people always ask like how do you get into this it's kind of a weird thing so hopefully the grassroots of the sports continues to grow because it's it's really a, a fantastic sport um and it's great for families it's great for a lot of different scenarios it's just one of those kind of stranger sports per se it's harder to get into than a football or baseball or basketball or you know the normal core sports and so what was it for you you know as as a kid you know uh, uh specifically that really sort of drew you into it you know at that point growing up i'd always played a ton of different sports and in australia really soccer became my main sport and i was actually pretty good at it at a young age and we moved to la and I continued to excel, and then we moved to Miami, and all of a sudden, I went from being kind of like the best player on the field to being like a bench warmer, and all of a sudden, I just sucked. You know, the, the, the kids in Miami were a lot better than the kids I was used to playing against, um, and then I kind of just got grew frustrated with it, but I wanted to continue um, in some type of sport, and at that point, my parents obviously had a big emphasis on sports being, you know, we need to be there. And obviously I've always loved sports as well. Um, so we kind of looked, okay, well, what are more individual sports that I could compete in? And for whatever reason at that time, I didn't like tennis, even though now I love tennis. So the, the next one to look at for us was motorsports because we always watched it. My dad competed on uh, motocross style bikes in South Africa growing up. And my uncle was still competing on that. So our family had always watched it, been attracted to it. We just didn't know how to go about getting into it. And my dad found a local go-kart track and a local coach and that kind of just led into that. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, I have to imagine with that kind of sport, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I figure you've got to be a little crazy. Uh, you've got to be a little nuts. That's probably true. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I definitely claim, you know, would consider myself a little bit nuts. Um, and you know, to get into it, I would say it's like any other sport at the professional level, the sport will drive you completely madly insane. Um, it's highly, highly frustrating, and it's not the on-the-track stuff. It's how you make the career off the track and what you have to go through. Um, so we always joke at, between drivers. It's like, what, why do we put ourselves through this? But then once you're in the car, it all makes sense again. So it's so you you, you in the car – uh, if you had to sort of, it, I, I'm sure it's, it's hard to describe a feeling that uh, that that intense or with that much passion. So, what does it mean for you, you know, to be sitting in the seat of a professional race car? 
you know, it's it is hard to put into words. There's there's a lot of different feelings. I would really say it's the culmination of all the hard work you've put in to get there, and this is what the reward is: is getting to drive and getting to race in those cars and those environments. Uh, it, it, there's blood, sweat, and tears, and of course, to get to the professional level in any sport. All athletes have to go through that. Um, I think the small difference between motorsports and uh, any other professional sport is the business end behind it to mm-hmm. allow you to get to that point. And you know, ninety-seven percent of my day is is spent on the business side of stuff, just trying to find and and earn that opportunity to get back in the car. Um, so it really is the, the culmination of all of that coming together. And then you kind of just can get lost in, in yourself and in this environment, which is actually an extremely violent environment, which is inside the race car. Uh, you know, it's 155 degrees Fahrenheit. Your forces on the body are five, four to five G forces on some cars. It's, it's a very violent place, but you kind of can get lost within your own world there especially you know in the 24-hour race when it's 2 a.m or 3 a.m the engineers the spotters are all pretty tired at that point so things get kind of quiet and at that point in the night you just find this rhythm and it's that rhythm that you just get lost in and you yeah you mentioned the 24-hour race and and obviously i think probably most people in the u.s they're they're familiar with nascar they're familiar with yeah. with indie style racing um uh, describe the kind of and, and i'm sure a lot of us have, have seen your style of racing on tv with the the 24-hour races but but give yeah. us give us some more specific information on that so where are we are actually owned by nascar which is one of the series that i race in it's called the imza weather tech championship um and it's an endurance sports car racing so you'll turn left and right so it's not just ovals and they're the first race of the seasons are kind of our super bowl it's the 24 hours of daytona and then after that we have 12 hour races we have 10 hour races and then we have the meat of the season which are about three hours uh each race and there in this championship there's different categories of cars that are all racing at the same time there's four different categories so there's almost four different races all taking part at once and they're you're intermixing with one another so there's a lot more action you know one of the problems or one of the issues people bring up who maybe don't like motorsports is that quote-unquote boring part in the middle of the race but here there's always overtaking there's always action going on yeah um so the category that I've been racing in the last four, five, six, seven years is the GT class, where they look much. The cars look identical to what you'll find on the streets, and that's because they are very close to it. Um, all the cars use the same chassis, which is the the bones of a car is the chassis. We use the same chassis and the same engine as what you'll find on the road car and there we have uh, audi r8s which is what i've been driving in lamborghini huracans uh, porsche gt3s um aston martins bmw m6s so a lot of cars that people will be familiar with but then once those bones are taken away they'll put the race stuff on and they'll make them into a full race car uh, and that kind of creates a little bit more identity to a car and more connection you know if you're a ferrari fan you can actually identify with the ferrari that's out there same for the audi fan or the porsche fan um so we'll take out we'll take those cars out there and we go racing for 24 hours and it's not a let's put around for 18 hours you're really pushing <laughs> that car for 24 hours and 
there in these races, there's going to be four, three to five drivers, normally about four drivers per car for those races. So then you also have a much bigger team. You know, you have the crew, you have the engineer, you have all four drivers. It's, it takes 20 people or so to run these cars for these 24-hour races. So it's a big, big organization to make it happen. Well, let's let's talk about that now. You might not know this, DM, but uh, I've done a few twenty-four hour drives myself. Um, in the uh, so you, you know how it is then. Huh? The uh, yeah, <laughs> I, it, it was it wasn't any of the cars that you mentioned. Uh, mine was a, a Honda Odyssey minivan, and <laughs> so uh, a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> and it also included a, a wife, three kids, and a dog. Um, uh, I think uh, that's the comfortable comment. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I think mine's a little bit more challenging than yours. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So how in the exactly. heck how in the heck can you drive for that long with that much intensity um, the exhaustion the mental focus what does that look like Yeah you know it's it, the sport is very very mentally taxing and I put a big emphasis on the mental side of it and the importance of that you know a normal what we call a stint which is essentially you come in for fuel and tires and you drive until you're out of fuel, you come back into the pits, you refuel the tank. That's a stint. So typically in a 24-hour race, each time a driver will do two to three stints while he's in the car. And that's going to be about three hours in the car. And when you're on the edge, and we're talking about hundreds of seconds in each lap time, you know, lap time around Daytona, let's say, is a minute and 47, minute and 48 seconds. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming down to the tenths of second and hundreds of seconds, you're really on the edge of that car for the entire race. And that's the point there that's mentally taxing. Now, you mix that in, and there's 50 cars on track at once. Some are going 10 seconds a lot faster. Some are slower. You're battling for position. And now let's say it's 2.30 in the morning. You've already done one triple stint earlier that night. You've slept for an hour and a half, and you've got to wake up and now be completely on your game. It, it takes a lot out of you mentally to be alert and, and adrenaline and make sure you're on the edge but not stepping over the edge and not going off, and that's going to cost your team a race. So there's finding that balance is so difficult, and that's why a lot of us put in tons of hours – trying to get find that zone trying to visualize because on top of all of that once you reach the professional level there's no quote-unquote practice it, it costs too much money um for teams to really go what we call testing which is what most people would call practice and there's limits on what we can do and at, when teams hire a professional driver they really just expect you to show up and be ready to go from the green flag hmm. and so we spend a ton of time visualizing. We've got simulators, which are decent, but they're not exactly what you're going to feel in the race car. So you, you, it's very, very difficult to be able to show up and just go with no practice and be fast right away on all the different tracks we go on and all the different cars you drive. And that's really where the, the hardest part of this whole sport really is. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, to... <clears throat> to be doing something that intense and that that demanding and not to have you know a true practice sort of season or practice opportunity yeah. uh, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned visualization and I know obviously in the sports world and the mental world uh, visualization is becoming more and more 
common at least as an idea and a concept. I don't think uh, uh, it's it's really necessarily being uh, communicated really clearly yet, and I think that that's coming. Um, I, I I saw my wife and I saw the movie. What was it? Rush a few years ago. Yeah, which, absolutely. That was a fantastic movie. Yeah. So the the true story of James Hunt and Nikki Lauda. Um, yeah. Uh, from the the yeah the the Indy Racers, and there's a great moment in the scene when James Hunt's character is laying down and he's he's visualizing the race uh, and uh, I, I just wanted to, to get from you when you talk about uh, visualization Dion walk us through what that really means to you so because we don't have practice and in our sport it's also considered a pro-am sport so typically the, the people a lot of people that are funding our sport that are making that happen are amateur drivers which are very successful businessmen doctors you know you know people like that that are paying to drive and then paying for us professionals to come in now they also take up the majority when we show up to a race weekend let me back up a sec there's typically going to be let's say two one-hour practice sessions uh 15-minute qualifying and then you go race now in those practice sessions you give the majority of the time to the amateur to take and learn the track learn the car while when we're in the car it's for setting the car up you know giving the feedback on what the car is doing that's not allowing us to go faster to the engineer communicating that he's going to make a change we go up and tell him better or worse and what's what goes on so while we're in practice it's not like a typical practice for ourselves it's getting the car faster for the amateur so in the visualization i try to get myself and my brain as ready as possible for the next track because we're going to for instance the imza championship is 10 race weekends all on different tracks which are violently different tracks Mm. um and you've got to get yourself ready so the breaking point where was that breaking last year you know the speed entry speed the gearing and just kind of getting the flow of the racetrack and that's where i find the visualization really helps me so when we unload the first practice session uh, by the third lap i'm on it i'm clicking i'm ready to go i'm giving the engineer feedback we're making changes and really getting the all out of everything we can out of that practice time so when the amateur gets in the car he can spend more time there getting better getting quicker and feeling the car um now the second part of that visualization which for me over the last three four five years is what i focused on for the big races is also out of the car in the 24-hour race it's a huge show. There's a lot going on, and the race usually starts around 1 p.m. So while the race itself is 24 hours, you know, you've had a long week before that. For instance, I'm leaving today's Monday. I'm leaving tomorrow, Tuesday, to head to Daytona already. The race is only going to start on Saturday. So it's a long week. The day itself, you wake up at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., and you're only racing at 1 p.m. So it's easy to get tired before the race even starts mm-hmm. between autograph sessions, the driver's meetings, walking around, trying to find time to eat before the race, the team meetings. You know, it's really easy to get overexcited and, and over emotional before the race ever starts. So even in my visualization, I'm trying to go through, you know, that morning of that race, what it typically looks like, what I go through and, and just trying to remember to keep breathing, keep relaxed. And, and that helps me kind of save energy for when I actually really need it. And I remember the first three, four, five times I went to the race, I was exhausted before the thing even ever started. Right. Um, so it's really, 
it, it's a, it's for me. I, I play with visualization and I try to figure out new ways to use it and and ways to improve it because there are definitely ways to get deeper into a visualization. Um, so I definitely spend a ton of time working on that and, and thinking about that. And I believe it pays off massively, especially in a sport where you have a limited ability to uh, practice. You can't just go, you know, throw the ball around in the backyard in our sport. Right, right. So, yeah, there's not a huge opportunity to go out and just play around and screw yeah. up. And, you know, you're, you're driving a vehicle, which, <laughs> which if you... You know, the half-million-dollar vehicle. So, <laughs> right. you know, it's the, the teams don't exactly, you know, have to... Have, the ability to say, okay, go play around with it. Yeah. And so that, that, that idea, one of the, one of the things I, I really took away from your Ted talk again, uh, Dion is, uh, your ability to deal with sort of uncertainty, your ability to deal with, you share, you know, the, uh, the race when you were 19 and the race when you were 20, um, and the two mistakes and the crashes that happened as a result. And so dealing with failure, um, how do you how do you deal with failure and the pressure in a sport that is so unforgiving on failure? Yeah, it, it, this sport you only ever have one year contracts. So the old adage of you're only as good as your last race, you're only as good as your last game, is massively true in this sport. Um, and it's very easy for people just to forget about you in the sport. So being on top of your game every single time, no matter what you did in the last race, is so big. So when that if that being said, being able to be, for lack of better terms, emotionally flatline, whether you win, not getting too high, or crash out or lose, not getting too low, is massively important. And that's something that I've been able to do a pretty good job at in my career. I've had some pretty big highs and some really big lows. Um, and even as I talk to you now, I mean, this off season, I, I've now in 2015, I came third in the championship. We had a I had four pole positions, which is in qualifying, qualifying first, which is more than any other driver. Um, we finished in the top three, four times, which was second in the championship for the most amount of times. So we had an amazing year. And then in 2016, I had no full-time ride. So you can go from having a great, fantastic year and almost winning the championship to pretty much left with nothing the next year. And I was able to put together stuff throughout the year, and I ended up racing in 10 or 11 races throughout different you know events. And we ended the year at a 25-hour race, and we won there, which was the end of this last year. And now again this year, until... Even as I talk to you now, I'm pretty certain in with a team in the junior categories for the full year. But even that, I haven't actually signed a contract yet in this sport until you sign a contract and really are in the car. you never for sure. And I talk to you now the week of a 24-hour race, and I may be racing the 24-hour race, but you're not sure yet. I'll probably only find out the day of the race, which is pretty unheard of in our sport mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of circumstances around this team and it's with the team that I finished third in the championship with they have their full year guys uh, but one of them uh, his wife is pregnant and maybe having a baby actually during the race um, so that's kind of why they've put me in as a reserve and I may be activated and so all you can do and the only thing I ever tell myself is just really one step at a time and be prepared always because you never know when that opportunity is going to come you never know when someone's going to call you and you know i look back at the this time last year where 
I was able to find a 24-hour ride for the 24-hour. We did not have a good race. Um, I was able to piece together a season. At the end of the year, I've got a, a massive opportunity with a with Audi, which is a, a part of Audi called Audi Sport. And in Europe, they have a championship called DTM, which is essentially the Formula One of what we do. And even though I started the year with pretty much nothing. I was able to do enough to get an opportunity to go to the young driver test, the DTM test, which I was actually only the second American ever to get invited over there. Hmm. Um, and there's another American with me at that test and with BMW. And it was a huge opportunity. So you just you, you think back to how I, de- how I was able to deal with that uncertainty and not knowing what was going to happen and what you can make out of that. And the only thing you do you can do is just keep calling people, keep trying to you know communicate, network, keep working on my simulator, the visualization, the physical aspect, and you train as if you were the full time guy on the best team, so that if an opportunity comes up, you're ready to go. And I don't know how else to go about it other than just taking one day at a time and just you kind of have to trick yourself into thinking that you never know when that thing's going to come. That I need right. to be ready. I need to be ready. I need to be ready. And that's the only way I've been able to go about it. Yeah, yeah, it's that uh, that fireman's mentality of you, you, you never yeah. you never know when the call is going to come. And exactly, <clears throat> so exactly. What do you do uh, from a from a sanity standpoint, from a from a <laughs> from a peace of mind standpoint, uh, or or even from a routine uh, standpoint to uh, to just put yourself in in the best possible uh, sort of frame of mind on a daily basis, whether it's obviously you talk about visualization from a performance standpoint, but yeah. uh, are other are there other routine aspects of your day that just sort of puts you in your best mindset? That's a really good question, um, and it's, I would say it's definitely something I struggle with. Um, you know, with all of this, it's easy to be a highly anxious person. Um, and I definitely deal with that form of anxiety to where if I feel on a certain day I didn't, I wasn't able to put in everything I had in, either into a workout session or a training visualization session, a simulator session, I, I become highly anxious. So it's actually hard for me to be able to relax unless I'm able to go out and do something like that. And it drives my girlfriend completely insane, um, <laughs> especially during the holidays, you know, Christmas, if you don't have a ride, it's really difficult to call that a holiday because I'm working harder during Christmas than any other time of year. Right. So it puts a lot of strain on your relationships, the sport can, if you're not in with a full-time. I mean, if I'm not in a full-time ride, I've got to be working. I've got to go work out, and I've got to get on the simulator. And it's difficult during those times. So when it comes to the frame of mind, be honest with you some days are really tough you know some days you just want to punch a hole through the wall but i i I think just taking a breath and maybe going on a quick run um going to the gym and just rolling out stretching out and just thinking about things and trying to frame the mind onto we get this is something something negative has come up how am i going to deal with it and how can i use this to make me better and quite often i I'm able to turn either that sadness into an anger and then use that anger in a workout. Um, And that's what I try to do and and try to release that, that, that negative energy 
on some weights or on a run or something to get it out of the system because I know it's not doing me any good. But some days it's definitely harder than others. Yeah, and, and I love I love the story you shared during your TED talk about uh, when you went back to South Africa after the two disappointments and you were sort of yeah. out in nature and and. It's kind of a turning moment, sort of. It seemed that your the, the, your commitment to just bettering yourself and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so that that story really quick was you know I had just uh, raced at Lime Rock and it was my first time with a big time team in a GT car. Sorry, it was before Lime Rock, it was Long Beach, and we were was running third place, battling for position. We kind of got together and I crashed, um, and it was off to a rough year. I wasn't doing very well. At this point, I was 20 years old and really borderline of becoming paid professionally versus just racing professionally and having to bring money. And after that race, my dad kind of sat me down, who at that point was always my biggest supporter and was like questioning, do I really think I'm good enough? Um, And of course, having your biggest supporter then question you uh, really was a little threw me off. And right after that race, we happened to be going to South Africa. Uh, which was in the middle of the year. My family's South African. We usually try to find some time, two weeks or so, to go back home. And at that point, we, we flew back home, and we were in the middle of the bush. We have a small property out there. And, you know, you're in the wild, but I, I needed to work out. I knew I needed to get better. I was so driven to prove my dad at that point wrong. And I remember doing pull-ups on a tree, getting rocks for sit-ups, all that type of stuff. We came back, and the very next race was at Lime Rock Park, and that I ended up winning that race which was my first big professional win. Um, so just in the span of those month and a half, it was the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Um, and just being able to, like I said, you just got to be able to take that negative energy and put it out and use it for something positive. And that's what I try to tell myself every day. Now, now, Deanna, I know you, you mentioned uh, a little bit ago that uh, uh, you, you're, you're going to be on the road here very shortly preparing for uh, a big race this weekend. I know it's kind of the, the Super Bowl of your event. So tell us about the event this weekend. Yeah. So the event this weekend is the Rolex at Daytona 24 Hours. Um, it's the 52nd, 52nd running or something like that now. So it's, it's a big historic race. Um I was a, very lucky enough, actually, to win it in 2000, 2013. And at that year, after 24 hours of racing, we won by 2.4 seconds. <laughs> 2.4 seconds difference after 24 hours of racing is completely nuts. Right. Completely nuts. Like, a, a easily a pit stop. If we had one small malfunction on a driver change or a fueling, or a sneeze. we would have lost the race. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it's crazy how, how that kind of gives a little bit more perspective into how close this racing really is. Um, so this year, I may be racing in a Lamborghini with Paul Miller Racing. Um, I'm not sure yet. I'll find out, like I said, probably the day of the race. But I've got the day before the race, the feeder series, just like, you know, let's say the way I would describe this is imagine, you know, the NFL and a college team kind of traveled together and the college team played the games the day before and then the NFL raced the day after or played the games the day after which is kind of what happens but not just like that so here sure. our feeder series races on the same racetrack the day before so the day before the 24 hour race I'll have a 4 hour race uh, 
and I'm kind of the lead guy on the team there and helping them bring the team forward. Uh, and this will be the first time I'll ever do, hopefully, do both races on the same weekend. So there I'll have to get used to jumping out of a Cayman that tops out at, let's say, 150 miles an hour and then go jump in the Lamborghini where we're much closer to 200 miles an hour right? Um, and then go race 24 hours. So there, you know, if you guys want to come out, if you happen to be in the Florida area, the race is Saturday to Sunday. I think it's like 2 to 2 uh, p.m. Eastern. And there's Daytona gets packed. There's the infield, the whole camping on the infield is sold out months in advance. Um, but the cool thing about our sport for fans is the access and the way i always describe the sport if you go to an nfl game a nascar race an nba game you're up in the stands and the players are all down the court and there's this separation where in sports car racing we welcome you into our sport and you welcome you into the paddock area, which is where in between sessions, the crew is all working on the cars and we're having meetings. If you buy a normal general admission ticket, you're allowed into those places and you can get within a foot of the car. Uh, you can see the driver in the car, starting the car, look at all the buttons. You can talk to the crew guys. You see drivers walking amongst you. It's, it's such a different perspective and it's a lot more welcoming to fans. So it gives you a, a way different way to watch the sport and then also at this track at daytona we race into the infield so there's let's see six six corners on the infield that you can go up to the fence get right there watch you can walk behind pit lane you know there's just such cool access to this race um that you're not stuck up in the stands and away from the action you can become a part of it and then of course over 24 hours there's going to be issues for teams and, and they'll have to go behind the pit wall back into the garages and at 2 a.m. in the morning you can go and watch and see these guys thrashing on the cars to get them back out there racing well let I me mean, hopefully not our car but <laughs> it, it's just such a different it's a different world than most other sports and so far every fan i've ever talked to that never knew about sports car racing comes away blown away by what the fans are allowed to do and how much action you're allowed to really take in well listen man uh best of luck to you uh thank you thank we, you we, we've got to call this uh you know at interview number one dion because yeah. i've got a whole list of questions I, I i'm not getting to but you need to get uh up to daytona and get racing um so uh so thanks so much for your time man. we're going to do this again but thanks so much for your time Absolutely. and no, no, thanks for having me on and best of luck this weekend Appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for everyone for tuning in and listening. Uh, thanks for having me on. I definitely say I'd love to be back on with you and kind of go through this. It's fun for both of us. Um, and you know, if you guys want to ask ask some more questions, of course, hit either Travis or myself up on Twitter. I'm at DMVMR. Uh, I'm always on there, kind of screwing around talking to fans and love to interact and uh, would love to talk to you again and hopefully put out some more great content. <laughs> Fantastic, Dan, and I'll include your uh, your Twitter links and uh, your website awesome. and all that into the uh, the podcast as well. Perfect. All right, have Thanks a great one, bud. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yep. I'm on fire. I tell her, baby, 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 ba